Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Be sure to listen, rate, subscribe, and review to both, both to our podcast and to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast on the same channel featuring uh, Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the Texans' loss to TCU at home before getting into the game of the year for the Longhorns, the rivalry game of the season, the Red River Shootout versus Oklahoma. Our show would not be possible without the following sponsors as well. Audiovisual Consultations, 512-255-8678. That's the phone number to call when you want the home TV setup of your dreams. Probably can't get it done by this weekend, but a lot of college football, a lot of NFL still left to be played. Make sure your TV setup is done the right way by the pros at AV Consultations. Give them a call, 512-255-8678, or go online to avconsultations.com. And the One and O podcast is also brought to you by Altstadt Brewery, Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here and the absolute best beer that you can find in Central Texas. So wherever you're watching the big game on Saturday, make sure you're accompanying your watching with the best beer that you can find. That is Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. Brad, you had the uh, unfortunate distinction of being correct in your prediction last week. You were the only one among me and, and Paul to predict a Texas loss. And I think with the, the way the game went was kind of how most games Texas plays uh, versus TCU and versus Gary Patterson goes. There's going to be some disjointed offense because Gary Patterson knows how to call a defense. And no matter who he's got out there, he's normally got pretty good answers. But uh, that that once again was the case, but still, it was not the fact that that happened. And, you know, you kind of expect that, like I said, against the Gary Patterson defense. But it was the fact that it happened in year four when everything is building up towards this being a year for Tom Herman to really make a move and get past some of the things that really take him have taken uh, him down in recent years regarding his season. And even in year four, even with Jake Smith, even with Sam Ellinger, new defense, new coordinators, it still wasn't enough to get one past the old Gare up in in Fort Worth. Yeah, no doubt about it. And we've seen problems that we've seen from the entirety of the Tom Herman era last Saturday. Big issues for Texas in all three phases of the game. And I think the biggest storyline here, Joe, once again, Texas is playing down to its competition, right? They don't play to a standard. They play to its competition. So sometimes it works when the Longhorns are underdogs, when they're not expected to win. Everybody knows Tom Herman's record as an underdog is one of the best in the country, But when Texas is favored, which is the case more often than not, they tend to struggle. And how about this stat? I know this isn't against the spread stat, so ultimately it doesn't necessarily impact wins and losses. But in year four for Tom Herman, in Big 12 games, when his Texas teams are favored by six or more points, his teams are four, nine, and one against the spread. So it's not really an opinion anymore to say that Tom Herman teams play down to their competition. The proof is in the pudding right there. It was a disaster. The offense sputtered at times. The defense, once again, couldn't get off the field. More special teams issues as well. And yeah, Gary Patterson's dominance of Tom Herman and really of the entire University of Texas football program continues. He's one of the best coaches in this conference, one of the best coaches in the country. And once again, he got the better of the guy wearing the burnt orange on the opposite sideline. The thing about this game that's really strange to me is that, especially when I did my rewatch and did Um, my little breakdown that I do on my Twitter account, there is a lot of good in this game. Like, the Texas defense mostly limited TCU with a pretty good quarterback to field goals, which, you know, you can look at the total yardage and be upset about that. But, hey, the tackling was a lot more improved from from Texas Tech, not that that's a very high bar to clear. And the Texas defense held them to field goals, which in the Big 12, that kind of helps. If you're holding them to three and not seven, and you're racking those possessions up, and you're scoring, that's how you can win football games in the Big 12. I'm okay with that. And even on offense, there was a lot of good stuff schemed up. The wheel route to Keontae Ingram, the uh, the other real wheel route to Keontae Ingram, the touchdown to Brennan Eagles, the touchdown to Jake Smith, Jake Smith's drop. There was a lot of good stuff done in that game, despite the, the, the lackluster stats. Uh, but the thing is, and this is what caught them, those things were overridden by mistakes. I mentioned that Jake Smith drop. I mentioned the wheel route that was undone by 
either Josh Moore or Cade Brewer not knowing where they should have been on the line of scrimmage. The long pass to Alvante Woodard that was called back on an illegal man downfield penalty against Christian Jones. There was a lot to like in that game, but the problem is is that they shot themselves in the foot too many times to really be able to notice a lot of the not bad stuff that, that, that the coaching staff on the Longhorn side of the ball brought into the game. It really was, you know, more and more that I think about it, of course, Gary Patterson is going to have a headset advantage basically against every coach he lines up against. But there was a lot of good stuff that just small, detailed mistakes undid it all. And that's still, you know, I I know that Keontae Ingram is not coached to stick the ball out on the one-yard line. And I know that, uh, you know, a a wide variety of things to where a lot of times – it's the soldier, not the general. But at the end of the day, you know, the responsibility does not fall with the soldier. It, re- it falls with the general. And after four years of seeing the same mistakes over and over again, at the point we're going to harp over and over again, you can do all the good you want. You can draw up those touchdown plays that were pretty successful. Uh, but if you don't have the coaching acumen to make the right adjustments in real time, like that Max Duggan touchdown to win the game ended up being, or to drill down in your in your team, like this is how you play football, this is how you do it the right way. Remember, fundamentals were such a huge part. If you're not able to do that in year four, it's really questionable if you're ever going to be able to do it. Yeah, I mean, this is just an undisciplined football team, right? We've seen that over the last couple of weeks, the penalties, the turnovers, the constant shooting themselves in the foot. It's a recurring theme with this football program. It nearly cost them against Texas Tech and Lubbock last weekend, and it did cost them against TCU this past weekend. So they're just undisciplined right now. I mean, you look at the penalty numbers, 12 for 92 yards for Texas on Saturday. It seemed like every time the Longhorns had a big play against TCU, there was a flag on the play. And look, the officiating was terrible. I think everybody who watched that game, hell, uh, I mean, thankfully we get paid to watch that game, Joe. I don't know how other people watch that game uh, without having a stake in this, right? I mean, that was just about as unwatchable of a football game as I've ever seen. But yeah, uh, the, the refs were bad, but Texas also shot themselves in the foot. A lot of the penalties were accurate calls, and Texas put themselves behind the eight ball because of that. So this is a poorly coached football team that definitely falls on Tom Herman and his staff because it is a lot of the same problems we've seen in the past few years with Texas. Now, I'm not letting the soldiers off the hook here and listening to Sam Ellinger's comments earlier this week about the buy-in, right? I mean, Sam Ellinger talked in his media availability about Well, he doesn't really care if he's liked, and he might have to have some hard conversations to some guys in the locker room. And Sam Ellinger basically made it sound like not everyone's fully bought in to this football team right now, which you can't win the Big 12. Even this year, when the Big 12 is as open as it is, you can't win a conference championship if you don't have 100% buy-in from 100% of your players. And, And, I mean, a lot of these mistakes, like you mentioned, yeah, you know, you can blame the coaches. Ultimately, this falls on them. They're the paid professionals here, but... Yeah, the, these are the student-athletes making the mistakes on the field. They're the ones uh, causing these penalties and causing these turnovers. And, and it, it stinks to think about that, you know, 18- to 22-year-old kids in that light. But, you know, you get this is what you sign up for when you play at Texas. And I think that's kind of the message that Sam Ellinger was trying to provide. You know, we talked a little bit in the offseason uh, about, you know, wondering what this team's mental state would be like following COVID, following, you know, the, the various – uh, political and credit, still credit to the team for making their voice heard, but still they, they, the political situation that dotted basically every athletic department around the country. And we still wondered, you know, what type of football team is going to come out and show up uh, on a week by week basis in the big 12. And Sam, like you mentioned, Sam's calling out essentially. It wasn't, he didn't name names or anything like that, but you can tell there were definitely specific people he was referring to uh, when he's talking about there not being a full focus or a full buy in. And, you know, that's not, that's something that shouldn't have to be drilled by the quarterback. Yes, you want that guy leading the way, but it should be instilled in the program. All these guys that Tom Herman brought in ever since the 2017 class that it runs a certain way. And if it's not happening now, who knows what's going to yeah. happen. But uh, to, to, to bring it back a little bit to, to TCU, um, like you mentioned, the, the penalties and they, they're, whether or not they're justified, like you can't not call downfield when the guy's six yards downfield. Right. You can't not call a downfield penalty when the, the receiver that runs a, a you know curl over the middle is covered up. Like 
a lot of it was disjointed. It became a ref show, obviously. But if you give the referees any starting roles, they're not going to pass them by. That's the problem that Texas had. And although it was, like I said, not a great referee performance, but it's it's not like like you mentioned, most of those calls were unjustified. There was some pretty pretty poor play from Texas, and that's just disappointing to see this year. So that's that's kind of all I've got. At, at this point on TCU myself, anything you else you wanted to add from that game that you saw? Well, I want to ask you about the final play, right? Your thoughts, or I should say the final offensive play for Texas, the Keontae Ingram fumble at the goal line with the Longhorns trying to go up in the final two and a half minutes. Uh, your thoughts on the play call and obviously the result that came of it. You know, I honestly don't have that much of a problem with the play call. I, I know that sounds weird. Uh, and I know that's, you know, any sort of small mistake, you immediately want to jump to the, the opposite reaction and say that was the dumbest thing ever. But, I mean, the, the context around it was that Rashawn Johnson was dinged up and potentially even out at that point. Uh, you know, B. John Robinson was recovering from his scorpion dive from a week ago, hmm. and you're moving the damn ball. Like, that was two plays, granted, with Keontae Ingram, granted, really quickly, uh, that went about 80 yards. What's what's one more? What's one more yard that uh, after your offensive line opened it up and and got him those those yards on that second run? Um, I would have maybe liked to see a different play call and, instead of just a plain straight give because there really wasn't a whole lot of room for Sam Ellinger to operate uh, at least with where the play was designed. I know that a lot of people said, "Oh, he should have just gone right." Well, when when the running back's on your left and you're at a mesh point, it's, it's not easy to get right outside quick enough to score. I would have probably have liked to see them go to those two-point plays or go to their typical hurry-up tempo plays that everybody knows is going to come, but that Texas is very proficient in running, that three-by-one with the bubble or the keep or the give. I would have liked to see a different play call. I don't really mind going tempo, going for it, and running it over their throats to try and score at that point. I, I mean, you're trying to score, and if you think you can catch them off guard, you try and get them. So I'm not really down on that play call. You, ha- you have to look at Keontae Ingram and say, hey, next time, hold it in, we'll get, we'll get, the, we'll get them on the next snap. I, I think that there's really – I think a lot of people in this point in the program want to throw everything upon Tom Herman, every downfall – and, yeah, there's a lot that is his responsibility, and, yes, it does ultimately stop with him. But every single detail that goes wrong is not always not always his fault. And, you know, running backs of all ages are coached, and all programs are coached about how important ball security yeah. is. And ball security is job security, so on and so forth. And at that pivotal moment, at that situation of the game, that's just not a ball that you can reach across. So I don't really mind the – uh, the, the decision to go tempo, maybe they should have slowed down and, and considered what they should have done and maybe run a little bit more clock off. And again, that's another curious Tom Herman clock decision. But I, you know, the, the thing is, is that if that ball, if he stops short and we're talking about, you know, maybe them getting into the next play or maybe there being like a fourth down stand, then it doesn't necessarily become, Oh dang, the coach. It, it's just a, it's another thing of execution. So I, I it's hard for me to put blame on the top for that fourth, for that play call. I understand why people are definitely upset with it, but I mean, in real time, it didn't seem like there was anything wrong with that. And of course the, the hindsight of looking at a fumble that <laughs> cost the game, it's hard to think it, it, it wasn't a bad idea with that hindsight, but in real time, I had no problem with it. Man, I had a problem with the tempo in real time. I know you're trying to score, and I'm not saying take a knee on first and second down to kill as much clock as possible, right? There's no guarantees you're going to punch the ball into the end zone against a Gary Patterson defense, especially from uh, from the goal line where they usually bow up pretty tough. But for Sam Ellinger to snap that ball with more than 20 seconds on the play clock, that made absolutely no sense to me. I mean, you want to tick off as much time as you can. Okay, if you score on first down, that's great. You take the lead. You don't give TCU a whole lot of time, but there's no reason to snap the ball with more than 20 seconds on the play clock. Number one, you don't give Keontae Ingram the rest that he needs after those two long plays. And number two, well, you're giving TCU more time to score if you score on that play, if you're Texas. So that, to me, falls more on number 11. Like, maybe the coaches were saying tempo, but a senior quarterback needs to say, all right, I got to run the clock here. 
He, that, that's, that game management, I think, falls on your senior, senior quarterback right there. And also, I would have loved for Sam to keep the ball himself on that play. Right? I mean, I talked about it last week. I don't know if it was on this podcast or just on the radio show leading up to the game. Like, it feels pretty obvious that Tom Herman has not figured out Gary Patterson's defense yet. And if you look at Mike Yurcich's numbers from when he was at Oklahoma State, his offense has only averaged 28 points per game against TCU. So I don't think he had really done anything to figure out, completely figure out Gary Patterson's defense just yet. The hope was the third coach, the coach on the field, Sam Ellinger, if he saw some things that he'd be able to check into plays that were better for this offense. And in that moment, I thought him keeping the ball, he's the most reliable, most trustworthy short yardage runner on the team. He's the senior leader, and he knows the guy next to him is gassed from two long-ass plays that he just had. I thought Sam Ellinger should have kept that football himself. So I've got an issue with the tempo. That wasn't a hindsight thing. That, to me, was dumb at the time. I was yelling at the TV, like, why are you snapping it right now? Let 20 seconds go off. Even if the plan is to hand it off to Ingram, well, you give Ingram 20 seconds to catch his breath a little bit. Also, you give TCU less time. And then, yeah, the decision, I mean, who knows if Rojo's there, if Bijan's available, maybe Keontae's not even in on that play, so you get some fresh legs out there. But considering the situation, uh, I would have liked a little bit more from number 11. Now, maybe you say that's unfair, but my expectations for him are so high because he's been that good. And he's been that great of a decision maker over his Texas career that I thought that was one that uh, he mishandled. Yeah, and, and and to that point, he you know we talked about what he mentioned on Tuesday and the player availability. He put stuff on himself too. Yeah. He he wasn't just throwing it out on everybody else. He was definitely talking about how he needed to improve. I mean, he granted he threw an interception on a on a ball where he misread it. Uh, I think I believe he 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 either misread the play or Josh somebody misread the play. Either way, miscommunication and the interception goes on eleven stat line. So it's not like his game was spotless. He I think he did enough to win, especially when even though he had inefficient numbers, those times that he did accumulate those numbers, it was on big plays and stuff like that. But yeah, I can I can completely see where you're coming from. It's it's just hard for me in that heat of the moment to go to uh, that that same decision making process that you're talking about, but definitely see where you're coming from on there. Anything else? Are we ready to move on to uh, the Red River Shootout? Now let's talk some Texas OU and make sure you call it Texas OU, Joe. <laughs> Unlike the head coach at the University of Texas, please uh, please get that one right. Yeah, so Texas OU Red River Shootout. I'm uh, doing this from a parking lot in Temple, Texas, at a Bucky's, and the there you go signs. You know they always have those text dot signs to, to remind you to wear your seatbelt. It's horns up, mask up, buckle up. Don't drive there sooner, or something like that. Ah, so, nice. Uh, text text dot is already uh, doing its part for this game, and this is probably. I'm trying to think. I think this will be – I think I've missed one game uh, in the Cotton Bowl since 2000 and either two or 2003. I missed it in 2011 because I had a uh, – I was part of the football team, quote, unquote. <laughs> uh, but this will be, I think, about you – know, you know, this is my ninth straight, um, however many this is. And I cannot remember a time for any of these games – where both teams limped in, and that's weird to say with a 2 and one record, but both teams limped into the Cotton Bowl like they are doing right now. Uh, we, we obviously know what went ahead with Texas with uh, a great standout performance in the opening week. Oklahoma, same thing against Missouri State. Great standout performance in the opening week. Uh, a lot of people really thought Spencer Rattler was going to be the real deal and live up to those potentially single-digit Heisman odds that he shared with Sam Ellinger, but both teams, again, as soon as the conference play started, really faltered. Uh, Texas was able to get away with a win in Lubbock, but faltered against TCU. Oklahoma lost two straight games for the first time in I don't know how long against both Kansas State in Norman and Iowa State in Ames. Um, so this is basically the first time I can remember both teams are struggling the way they are right now. Plenty of Texas teams in the most recent decade Limped in. Uh, didn't Texas walk in one and five one year or one and four or something like that? So uh, there have been times when when Texas has not entered the Cotton Bowl very strongly, but I can't remember a time when both teams entered the Cotton Bowl wondering what their season was going to be after and really afraid of the possibility of the defeat on the other side. Yeah, I mean it's the first time both of these teams are coming in 
with the loss the previous week since 2014. But it's the first time since 1999 that both Texas and Oklahoma are ranked outside of the top 20, which is where we're at right now, right, with the Longhorns 22 and Oklahoma unranked going into this football game. So, yeah, both teams are struggling. And Oklahoma, they've already played themselves out of the college football playoff picture, but they've been the bell cow, the best team in this conference for the last half decade. If they lose on Saturday, they're probably out of the Big 12 picture as well. So Texas has a chance to deliver the knockout blow to the Sooners this weekend. And then Oklahoma, you know, they're trying to get their season back on track. But, hey, Texas right now still technically in the college football playoff conversation, although it feels ridiculous to talk about that with the way this team has looked the past couple of weeks. But also, I mean, there's no guarantee that a two-loss Texas team would find its way to Arlington at the end of the year. So this could be an elimination type of game for the Big 12 championship. And that is absolutely bizarre considering where these two teams stood just a couple of weeks ago, right? I mean, after the non-conference Saturday of Big 12 football, it felt like there was an obvious tier one of teams in this league, and that included Oklahoma and Texas. And then all of a sudden, we got a chance here for one of these teams to have three losses or both of these teams to have two losses after only three weeks of conference play. So yeah, it's pretty bizarre, usually a lot more at stake for these teams. But uh, this year, it's just both teams trying to get things back on track. So I guess we can start talking a little bit more specifics about OU and basically what are some of the things that are not uh, cranking at the level that they have in, in recent years with either under Hertz, under Murray, under Mayfield, all under Riley, obviously, but there are a couple of problem areas, at least on their offense right now, that we're not used to seeing from Oklahoma football. And honestly, as great as he is, as promising of a prospect as he is, Number one, right now, it's not their biggest problem, but it's a it's a little bit of an unknown. I think a little bit it's Spencer Rattler. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman, and this is the first time in what since Baker Mayfield's 2016 season, I think, that they're not having a uh, or maybe even the 2015 season. I can't remember which one, but first time in four years, something like that, that they're not bringing in a transfer quarterback. Now, granted, with Kyler and with Jalen, it was their first start. Uh, in the Red River shootout, but Kyler Murray had some experience playing football in the SEC at Texas A&M and his whole season waiting behind Baker. Uh, Jalen Hurts played in every big game there is to play in at Alabama. But this is the first time that, that Spencer Rattler is, is going to come into this environment. And I'm wondering, A, what type of effect that's going to have on him. Uh, we saw Sam Ellinger play well in his first Red River shootout back in 2017, but he did not play perfect. He did. He played as well as he could given the limitations of the offense, but he definitely made some mistakes as well. And Rattler at times has thrown some costly interceptions for the Sooners in, in both those losses that directly, I think directly led to scoring. So it's one of those things where you take the great with Spencer Rattler. There's, there's probably few better throwers of the football in the big 12 or in college football than him. But, you know, you, you don't just throw the football. You throw it so guys can catch it. Guys on your team, you lead the offense. You do a lot of different stuff, things. So uh, how they handle Spencer Rattler, and, yes, he can run, but he can't run like Murray and he can't run like Hurts. So how this new Texas defense from Chris Ash handles Spencer Rattler and tries to make things uncomfortable for him in his first go is something I'm really going to be able to – it's something I'm going to uh, – take a real hard look at because that kind of dovetails in my second point but I'll let you go what do you think about Rattler so far and and what are you kind of expecting to see from him this upcoming Saturday I think Spencer Rattler is so far from the top of the list of problems that Oklahoma has right now Uh, has he been perfect no and you mentioned some of those late game mistakes he's had late game turnovers in each of their two losses to K-State and Iowa State the dagger pick Uh, towards the end zone this past weekend against Iowa State. So has he been perfect? Absolutely not. But, man, he's been one of their best players and one of their most consistent players so far this year. And I know the numbers of first-year quarterbacks going into the Cotton Bowl are not good, especially when they're going up against returning starters. So all-time returning quarterbacks in the Red River shootout are 14-3-1 against first-time starters in the game. So right there, that seems to be advantage Texas. Now, obviously, last year did not go the Longhorns' way, even though they had the returning starter and Jalen Hurts was making his first start up in Dallas. But man, in terms of the atmosphere, who knows? 
Who knows what the atmosphere is going to be like on Saturday, but we do know it's not going to be the same as what it usually is the second Saturday in October. So, I mean, maybe Spencer Rattler gets flustered or gets rattled because he's a freshman and it's a huge rivalry game, but in terms of the crowd, in terms of the atmosphere, that shouldn't be too much of a disadvantage for him. So I don't think uh, that's something, that first-year starter thing is something you have to worry about as much this year as you do in years past, just because the biggest reason why that's tough for young guys is because of the atmosphere, and we're not going to have the normal atmosphere this season. Yeah, you're right. About 12, 12.5% for each fan base, 25% total of the 98,000-ish. So just probably somewhere between 20 and 25,000 at the stadium. Yeah, I completely understand, but I think he's definitely going to have to play a lot better than he has in his first two Big 12 games if he wants to walk out and maybe add a four uh, to that 14-3-1 total. But like I mentioned, to dovetail it with the other aspect uh, of making life difficult for Rattler, the normally amazing Sooner offensive line is anything but this year. They've, they've tried, kind of had a various rotation, I believe, at left tackle and at right tackle. Um, I think they've also had an opt-out with one of the options that they had for left tackle. Their interior line was what they thought was going to be the strength of this team. When they had Creed Humphrey Manning at center, a guy who's likely to go to the NFL or was likely to go in the NFL draft and the next upcoming draft until kind of having a down year. But they're still trying to figure a lot of things out at tackle. And that is an area where last year Texas probably would not have attacked that, considering the structure of the defense under Todd Orlando. This year they've got guys who are ready, willing, able, and in position to really make the lives of offensive tackles a little bit difficult. Now that's not to say that Oklahoma doesn't have its typical athletes outside with guys like freshman Marvin Mims and, and Charleston Rambo. They have tied in Austin Stogner and even fullback, I believe it's Jeremiah Hall. There are definitely still talented guys. Theo East, you know, the list of receivers who are standouts in Norman goes on and on and on. But for these guys to be able to get, for Rattler to be able to get them the ball and even for their running game to work with whoever their running back is going to be this game, that's another issue. Those tackles have to get things together. And I don't think guys like Joseph Osai, Moro Ojomo, or Jacoby Jones, I don't think those are going to be the guys that these sooner offensive linemen, including a freshman at left tackle, figure it out against in time and, and get their season going the right way against those guys. Yeah, I'm with you. It's weird to see. I mean, everything about this Oklahoma team has been weird to see, right? We're just so accustomed to them being really, really good and coming into this game either unbeaten or with just one loss and ranked somewhere in the top 10 or 15. So everything's pretty bizarre about Oklahoma's start to 2020, but I think the most surprising thing is their lack of offensive line play because they've got four redshirt juniors and a redshirt senior starting up front. And Bill Biedenball, the really, really good, historically good offensive line coach at OU who's been there for a couple of decades now, before the season he praised that unit and said, this is one of the best offensive lines I've ever had. When I heard that, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, because that's a guy who usually doesn't praise his offensive line. right? He usually talks trash about him. Oh, we're not that good. Oh, we've got to work on this. We've got a lot of room for improvement. But before this season, he's like, no, 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 we're really, really good up front. So I just figured, oh, my God, they're going to be awesome up there again, maybe better than they ever have been up there again, uh, up there. And so far, that just hasn't happened for Oklahoma. They're getting pushed around, and they got worked by the three-down front of Iowa State this past Saturday. They can't run the ball. I think it's five games in a row dating back to last season where Oklahoma has failed to average four yards a carry. And that includes their FCS win against Missouri State this year. And I know if you just watch Sports Center highlights of Oklahoma, you'll see all these long touchdown passes from Baker, from Kyler, from Jalen, whoever. Those are set up by their running game. Like that's what makes the Lincoln Riley offense so powerful is because they're usually able to effectively run the football. That has not been the case at all for Oklahoma this year, and that's why their total offense and their scoring offense has been way down compared to what it's been like in years past. That all starts with the offensive line. So, yeah, that's the most confusing, most surprising thing for me. And then on paper, you know, you'd like to think Texas can take advantage with their defensive front. I think right now that's the strength of this Longhorn defense. Do I think that group is elite? No, but they've got some dudes, and they played pretty well, I thought, against TCU. They were able to get pressure on Max Duggan for the majority of the day. Even though there was only one sack, I thought they did a good job twisting and stunting and finding ways to get free runs at the TCU quarterback. So you mentioned Spencer Rattler's running ability. He's not Jalen Hurts. He's not Kyler Murray. I'm not even sure he's as good of a runner right now as Baker Mayfield was. So if you can find a way to get pressure uh, on Spencer Rattler, you can make life pretty tough for him. And I think that's possible with this OU offensive line. 
You mentioned the skill position players, Joe. Look, their best pass catcher right now is their tight end, Austin Stogner, which is weird. I mean, they've had some really, really good tight ends. Don't get me wrong. At Oklahoma with Mark Andrews and Calcaterra, and uh, the list goes on and on. But I think that's more of an indictment on their wide receivers than anything. Like, they just don't have any elite wide receivers right now. And you think of all the great ones that they've had in the last five to ten years with the C.D. Lambs and the Hollywood Browns and the Sterling Shepherds of the world. Like, they always have a first or second round wide receiver on the outside. And right now, they don't have one of those. So, you know, there's an advantage or, I guess, a disadvantage for Oklahoma. Maybe something that can be an advantage for Texas is that, yeah, their skill position players are not as good as they have been in years past. And uh, I think that's why Oklahoma's offense is struggling a little bit. People will look at Spencer Rattler, but I just don't think he's getting a whole lot of help right now. You know, you, what you mentioned about that Texas defensive front got me thinking of, it's, of course, a team game, 11 versus 11. There are so many intriguing matchups on this on this for the Texas defense versus the OU offense. Of course, you've got Chris Ash versus Lincoln Riley from the top to start it all down. Uh, you've got Keandre Coburn, who had a heck of a game against TCU, just obviously unguardable one-on-one against TCU. Him versus Creed Humphrey in that interior line. You've got Joseph Osai versus whoever the Sooners march out at tackle. Then you've got the linebackers versus not only uh, the Sooner running game, uh, but also against Stogner. And then you've got uh, Deshaun Jameson, Jalen Green, and Josh Thompson against those two outside receivers. So this is a this is a game full of intriguing matchups uh, everywhere around the field. I kind of tipped my hand with what I thought was the one. It's going to be uh, Texas's edge rushers against. Uh, the offensive tackles. Where do you think this one, uh, what, what, what do you say is the big matchup to take a look at uh, to see how this offense versus defense matchup is going to go? Yeah, I think the battles in the trenches are huge, right? It, it feels like the more physical team generally wins this game. And that might be Captain Obvious, and I'm sure over the Ides of football history that the more physical team wins more often than not. But, I mean, the two numbers that everybody talks about and everybody looks at for this game are rushing yards and turnovers. And if you're able to win both of those, well, you're 13-0, right? Uh, Since 1999, I think if a team has won both of those, the rushing yards battle on offense and the turnover margin, then they've won this football game. So I think rushing yards is uh, really, really important for this football game, and that's why I think the battles of both lines of scrimmage are important, right? I mean, this Texas offensive line – They've been okay this year at best, but we all remember what happened last year at the Cotton Bowl, right? They gave up nine sacks against Oklahoma. They couldn't stop a twist and stunt if their life depended on it. So, you know, Oklahoma's going to try that again this year. And, hell, in the Texas Tech game a couple of weeks ago, those twists and stunts were giving Texas problems on the offensive line. So, like, I don't know how confident I am in that, but I think those are your matchups right there. Might be Captain Obvious once again to just go with the battle in the trenches, but I really do feel like whichever defensive line can impose their will a little bit more on Saturday is going to find a way to win this game. I really am with you because I know that's just how the game is going to be set up. Because like you mentioned, if the Sooners can set up that running game, it opens everything else up. If they're not able to do that, then this game's going to look a lot different. Um, anything else before we start talking a little bit about the Longhorn offense versus the Sooner defense? Um, I'm trying to think. No, you know, I, I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, I, I'm curious to see how the secondary plays. Uh, can they have a little bit of a bounce-back performance? How do they look against Oklahoma's receivers that aren't really good? Uh, the Texas linebackers, we talked about it, right? Stogner, the best pass-catching weapon right now for Oklahoma. That's scary because you know Lincoln Riley's going to try to scheme that guy open, and you know he's going to attack the Texas linebackers, which is what TCU did. So, you know, having Jawan Mitchell back will be big. Uh, we saw how much this defense was impacted after he got ejected in the TCU game for targeting. But uh, how good are those linebackers in coverage? Because against Texas Tech, they were not at all. And you have to assume Lincoln Riley's going to attack that. So that might be another key right there is, you know, can those linebackers play well in space? Otherwise, this defense could get picked apart. Agree. This could be a big game for another one of those pseudo linebackers, Chris Adamora. So, yeah. All right, do switch it over to the Texas offense versus the Sooners defense. I'm going to start you off with a stat, and this is from Caden McFarland um, from KJRH in Tulsa. He tweeted on the 7th, the Sooners may want to switch to a different halftime snack. In the first half, the Sooners defense allows 222 yards total over three games, 2.8 yards per play, has forced 11 punts, and only allowed two touchdowns. In the second half of Oklahoma games, 
The defense allowed 556 yards or seven yards per play, has only forced three punts, and has allowed six touchdowns. So this is a Sooner defense that is still in its, or it is in what, I believe year two under Alex Grinch. Yep. And a, a point I kind of was thinking about as I wanted to talk about this is there's going to be a lot of similarities in what the strategies of these two teams look like. Uh, OU may deploy a lot more 11 and 12 personnel, maybe even some 21 personnel technically. Texas, we've seen, deploys a lot of 11 and 12 personnel. Both kind of run a 4-2-5 type defense with a, with a nickel. Uh, both use literally the same tackling or almost the same tackling technique. So there's going to be a lot of similarities in what these teams see on a day-by-day basis seen out there on the field on Saturday. But going back to that stat about the OU defense, this is kind of what I was talking about with how both teams are kind of on a precipice of a breakdown. Alex Grinch was brought in from Ohio State after putting together a good defense there, I believe co-coordinating a good defense, and after having success with with an air raid offense uh, paired with his defense, up at Mike, up with Mike Leach at Washington State. He was kind of the guy thought to be the one that was going to take this Sooner program to the next level. They obviously had the offense that could get them by in the conference to win the conference, dominate the conference, reach the college football playoff, as they've done several times. But when you're Oklahoma football and you're reaching the playoff, you're not just settling for, for getting there. You want to achieve. You want to win those national titles, just like any program power program does, just like Texas wants to. only thing is Oklahoma has been there, but the thing that has held them back from taking that next step is Alex Grinch's defense not being able to cover for the offense. And, you know, the, the, these two games that Oklahoma lost, they both scored 30 points, I believe. They had large – they had decent-sized leads at some point, and the defense couldn't hold it together for the Sooners. Yeah. So – I think the thing to watch is, you know, obviously we see the second half or we heard the second half stats there. I think Texas has to make sure that they just kind of keep pounding. And we've heard Tom Herman talk about that a lot. Just keep pounding, keep pounding. It's going to work. Well, it's year four pounding, and we <laughs> haven't really driven that far into the rock yet. But honestly, this, this game, I think it makes sense because we know what, honestly, what the Sooner defense is. They're going to have a lot of help back in Ronnie Perkins, who based off Sooner media reports kind of sounds like he's going to uh, get a little bit of a reprieve from his NCAA suspension. And that will be huge uh, for the the Sooner pass rush. We don't know what type of game shape he's in at this point or anything like that. So I guess that that overarching point about this being huge for the uh, Sooner defense in this game is that you know, Texas has a solid quarterback. They have a great quarterback in San Diego. Not perfect, not terrible, but, you know, a guy who is capable of winning you games single-handedly, as he has done for Tom Herman in the past. And I think that if Texas really wants to win this game, they just kind of have to keep pounding and use what they know works. And I think it's going to break open for them eventually just because we haven't seen Alex Grinch's defense be able to stand, hold firm, and get that stop when they need to in crunch time. What are you thinking in terms of keep pounding? Like, what do you want to see from Texas offensively on Saturday? So I am—I think I've made this point in the past where I am fully okay with the screen game. I think that it's a healthy part. It's an extension of the run game as long as you have the right people blocking for the right receivers. You don't want Kai Money blocking, blocking for Brendan Schooler. You might want to flip that one around. But I, I really think that if Texas just kind of takes its normal approach and runs the football – tries to get the teams go side to side and execute it well, those sooner defensive backs are going to get their eyes caught, and you're going to see Mike Yurcich and Tom Herman scheme plays like they did against TCU. Again, that was one of the good things I saw is there was plenty of dialed-up schemes to where even if you know it didn't look like the offense was having at a, going at a good pace, they could get that one play and get them going. So I think just kind of baiting – the Sooners into a lot of different stuff, making them run all over the field, inside, outside, screens, all that stuff, and then taking that shot. And taking And taking not just that one shot, but taking multiple, because we've seen that the best way to gain yards is to go through explosive plays. And I think if Texas can do that, they're against an opponent who is able to give those up pretty regularly. I think if they just kind of stick with what they know and at the you know when they think they have them rolled in, take that shot, 
I think that's what's going to be able to help them get some points on the Sooners. I think we're definitely going to see, probably from both sides, but I think we'll definitely see from the Longhorns an explosive play of probably past 50 yards in this game. Yeah, I think you could be right on that one, Joe. And I want to see some tempo for Texas. I don't want this to be, uh, oh, we're down by 15 in the final two minutes against Texas Tech, so we got to go quick. Or, oh, we got to go quick on this last drive against TCU because now we're down and it's not working. We got to find a way to get this done. No, no, no. I want to see tempo on Saturday. When you play a Lincoln Riley coach team, you got to embrace the shootout, right? You would love for your defense to clamp Oklahoma's offense, but realistically, that's not going to be the case. So you've got to embrace the shootout and scoring and scoring fast and scoring often. So I want to see that. I want to see some more hurry up, no huddle from this Texas offense. And I also want to see, I mean, we're going to see a lot of 11 personnel. I wish we'd see more 20 personnel. uh, And there, man, I wish we would see now that Jordan Whittington's going to be back. I would love to see some formations where you just go 10 personnel, where you've got Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith as your two slot receivers and have them both on the field at the same time. I would like to see that because I think when healthy, both of those guys are better weapons than a Cade Brewer or even a Jared Wiley, which, by the way, we need to see more Jared Wiley than Cade Brewer. I think uh, everyone and their mother in Longhorn Nation feels that way after the last couple of weeks. But, you know, if Texas is going to have a tight end on the field or even two tight ends, I would love for them to spread things out a little bit, right? Flex those tight ends out wide and get the Oklahoma secondary and Oklahoma linebackers in space. Force them to cover in space. I don't think they can do that. I really don't. I don't think Oklahoma has the uh, skill in the linebacking core and in their secondary to cover a very average receiving core that Texas has, right? I mean, I don't think anyone is saying this is one of the best receiving cores in Texas history by any stretch, but I just think Oklahoma's defensive backfield is that bad to where you could take advantage of that. So you do that, you spread things out, and also that lightens the box a little bit for Texas to hopefully be able to run the football a little bit more against Oklahoma. And I don't think Oklahoma's defensive front is all that great. Now getting Ronnie Perkins back will help. I don't know how effective he's going to be considering he hasn't played at all this year, but no doubt that guy's an upgrade over some of the cats they have up front. But I would love to see spreading it out a little bit more, whether it's to run or whether it's to throw and to go up-tempo against this Oklahoma defense because I don't think they can handle it. And they're showing a lot of signs of the 2018 Oklahoma defense that gave up 48 points to Texas when Texas was doing a lot of the things that I just mentioned. Yeah, I'm completely with you. So we talked about the individual matchups on the offense, on the Texas defense versus the Sooner offense, trying to think of individual matchups the other way around. And I think some of them definitely uh, lean towards Texas' advantage. Um, I'm pretty sure that most of the Oklahoma defensive backs, uh, including Brendan Ridley Hiles, everybody's favorite defensive back, uh, they're all comparatively short. They're all about 5'10 or shorter. I don't think there's a lot of length in that defensive backfield, uh, at least of the guys who have seen a regular amount of playing time. Uh, there are some younger guys who may see more playing time in this game who've got some length, including a former Longhorn commitment in Joshua Eaton. Uh, but I want to see what these guys like Brennan Eagles, who are, who's 6'3", Tariq Black, who's 6'2", and you know uh, these wide variety of guys who have some height, at least compared to these OU defensive backs, use that height. Same with Jared Wiley, like you mentioned. I'm all on board him starting to get more and more of the first-string tight end snaps. I think he's going to, to be honest. I think it's starting to play out that way. Uh, but I'd like to see you know, a guy who's 6'7 try and box out a guy who's 5'9 for a little bit. And I think that's one of the individual matchups I'm looking at. Of course, Sam Cosney versus Ronnie Perkins. That should be a lot of fun. We've seen Ronnie Perkins do some bad things against Sam Cosney. We've seen Sam Cosney do some bad things against uh, him and other very talented defensive pass rushers. But what are some of the individual matchups you're trying to see and you think uh, will make an impact in this game? Yeah, the Oklahoma secondary is not good, and you mentioned their lack of size, right? They showed a graphic on the screen on the TV during the Iowa State OU game, and none of Oklahoma secondary players are six feet or taller. So they're pretty short on the back end. I, you know, I, I would love for that to be advantage Texas. And on paper, you talk about the size of some of the receivers the Longhorns have on the outside, and it seems like advantage Texas. But, man, uh, the Longhorn wide receivers were horrible against TCU. Last week against the two starting TCU corners. So this is not against safeties. This is not against linebackers, obviously, because we, we know that Sam Ellinger threw for more yards than just this. But against the two starting TCU corners, the Texas receivers had three catches for 23 yards. 
for the whole game. Three catches, 23 yards against the starting corners for TCU. Now, TCU's corners and defense is better than Oklahoma's corners and defense. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but the point stands, you need more from the wide receivers on the outside from the Texas Longhorns. And Jake Smith was pretty good. I think he's going to get better with time, but obviously the drops were there. But you had two drops for Tariq Black as well. You had two drops for Josh Moore. And Brennan Eagles, dude, I mean, you mentioned his size. He is so easily covered and steered off his route by smaller defenders. It makes no sense. Like, he's big, but he's not physical. It's a huge problem. And you need that. When you're that size, you got to use that to your advantage. you got to use that as a strength. And Brandon Eagles, we haven't seen that. That's not a one-week thing. That's like over the course of his Texas career. So, man, I mean, I'll, I'll be watching that matchup for sure. It's a very important matchup this Saturday. But, God, I, I mean, I just don't have a whole lot of faith. We talked about it all off season, right? How good are these Texas outside wide receivers? And going up against TCU, they did not look good. Now, against Tech, they look fine, but... I mean, Tech's defense is one of the worst in the country. They gave up nearly 600 passing yards to Houston Baptist, so I'm not giving the Longhorn receivers that much credit for being able to pick up yards and get open against them. They really, really had uh, had trouble against the physicality of the TCU corners. If Oklahoma implements that, then, man, I, I just don't know. That's got to be a matchup that Texas wins, but I'm not incredibly confident that they are going to dominate that matchup like they probably should. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and yeah, I think those – you mentioned there was only three catches, which does kind of entail that, you know, those catches went elsewhere, which is okay. But, yeah, you, that's not exactly what you want to hear when you have those bigger guys on the outside able to match up against smaller guys. Anything else? Are you uh, you ready to go ahead and put a, a number to your name and make a prediction for this game? Well, do you want to get to, real quickly, the impact of this game? Like how much this means yeah. and what it means yeah. to not only this weekend and maybe this year's Texas and Oklahoma squads, but to the future of these two programs. Maybe you wanted to do that after the yeah. prediction. I'm not sure. Uh, let's go ahead and do that. So, yeah, like, like we kind of mentioned in the uh, uh, early portion of the show, this team, both teams are kind of on the precipice of a place they really, really do not want to be. Uh, we can kind of start with the Oklahoma side of it just because we understand where the Texas side of it is for the most part. But like we mentioned, Lincoln Riley has had a successful program ever since he took over for Bob Stoops. He was handed a successful program. He has kept it successful. Uh, but this is his program now, and his program in the past two years, three years even, since he, can, since he kept Mike Stoops around for an extra season – just has not been able to keep the defensive side of the ball up to the standard of the offense. And so the thing I'm starting to wonder if, is if Oklahoma loses this upcoming game, is Lincoln Riley ever going to be able to figure out the offense, or are they going to be doomed as long as they practice the way they practice, recruit them the way they recruit, and run a program the way they run a program to being Texas Tech on steroids? <laughs> That's funny you say that, Joe, because I was talking to some folks in Norman earlier this week, and uh, they're starting to call themselves the Crimson Red Raiders or Texas Tech North. I mean, it's just a better version of what Cliff Kingsbury was doing in Lubbock, right, where the offense was dominant year in and year out, but the defense was so bad they couldn't get the results they were looking for. Now, once again, obviously, you brought up the steroids. Oklahoma's winning this conference every year. Texas Tech was struggling to make bowl games under Cliff Kingsbury. So different conversation, sure, but in terms of, Oklahoma's goals are no longer to just win the Big 12, right? They're looking to take that next step and win the title, the national title. That's obviously not going to happen this year, but the question is, can they do that with Lincoln Riley and the type of scheme that he runs on offense? I think the answer is yes. Not a lot of evidence this year would back that up, but I think Oklahoma can win if they're able to get their offense back to the 45 to 50 points they've been averaging in the past few years, and I think they can overcome a lot of their defensive and special teams' woes, but you know, this year, for this year in particular, their offense hasn't been that good. They're only averaging 37 points a game, which doesn't sound like little by any stretch, but over the last few years, uh, 42, 48, 45, 44, 44 the last five years for Oklahoma. So their defense has not taken the step, their special teams has not taken the step to offset that one touchdown or so fewer points per game that they're averaging this year versus what they've done over the last five years. So the hope when they hired Alex Grinch was that he could turn the defense around a little bit. They were really, really good in 2019, but they look like the 2018 Oklahoma defense. Now the question is, is that COVID? 
Is that shortened offseason, suspensions, injuries, opt-outs, whatever? Or is that actually just a, a demerit on Lincoln Riley? And that's like, dude, as long as he's your offensive coach, this is what you're going to get on that side of the football. Those are the questions that are being had up there for sure. Exactly. And I, I really do think a loss in the game, and, you know, I, I wrote this earlier in this week, is that this game's not going to be a low-scoring affair. Like, this is not going to be 14-10, and a loss is going to come as a result of just not being able at all to stop the opposing uh, offense. And granted, this is a matchup of the two most talented teams in this conference on paper by recruiting rankings and all that. So it may, maybe it makes a little more sense. But the stakes are higher for everybody in this game. Uh, Texas, uh, you know, admittedly, this is their only rival on the schedule. This is the rivalry game on which you are judged that in conference competition. Hmm. It's a little bit different for Oklahoma, but it's the same thing. And if Oklahoma's problems are accentuated in this matchup of all of any matchup on their schedule in this one, that's going to spell a big problem. I think for Lincoln Riley, it's not like he's going to be going anywhere on the hot seat or anywhere, but it may just be a telltale sign about his program that, you know, he can hire whoever at defensive coordinator. It's not like Alex Grinch was thought of to be off the trash heap. That was the up and coming guy who had done it at another air raid program. And they thought they were going to be able to do it again. And it hasn't worked. He's got, it just simply has not worked thus far. And I think another example of that would prove pretty detrimental to the Sooner program. And, it's, and so but to go onto the other side, let's flip it around. Let's say, let's say the Longhorns don't take this one this upcoming week. That would make Tom Herman, what, one in three in the Cotton Bowl. It would make him out of, probably out of playoff contention and probably out of conference title contention in year four with Sam Ellinger, blah, 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 you know, all the, all the qualifiers we want to throw behind it. So, you know, if Tom Herman can't get it done this Saturday against Oklahoma, does that mean he's not going to be able to get it done at all going forward? Yeah, it does. Um, and you talked to me before the show started, so I want to give you the floor, but I agree 100% with your thoughts on Tom Herman and whether or not he's the answer for this football program. So I'll spin it back on you. If Texas loses (laughs) this game on Saturday, where are you at with the head coach of the University of Texas? It's hard to see a path forward for Tom Herman uh, to where he can achieve the goals he set out to achieve if he loses Saturday versus Oklahoma. He's had all the time in the world. It'll be year four. It'll be his quarterback. It'll be his program. It'll be his new coaches. It'll be after his last, you know, his last gasp with all the different coordinators and coaches that he brought in. And if it's not going to happen this year, it's hard to think it's going to happen at all. Um, And like we mentioned, you are judged at Texas and Oklahoma for beating the team on the other side of the red river. And I, I did give him a little bit of a qualifier, you know, one in four or at least one in three, right? Yeah, one, no, one in two against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Um, and if it goes to one in three against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl and one in four overall, especially in your only chance that you had at a Big 12 title, that just simply doesn't get it done. Uh, so I think that there's a lot riding on this week for, for both programs, obviously, but uh, this could be a very, you know, a lot of things could probably be determined about Texas should they lose this program or should they lose this game this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I will officially close the book on Tom Herman if he doesn't win the Big 12 this year. I mean, especially if he doesn't even get to Arlington, and that could be decided on Saturday, right? I mean, the Longhorns right now – feels weird to say with seven conference games left, but the Longhorns do control their own destiny to get to Arlington and and to win the Big 12 title. If they lose on Saturday, they no longer do, right? They're going to need to win out, and they're also going to need some help from the other teams to make sure that two losses is good enough to get them to Arlington at the end of the year. So I wouldn't completely close the book and say uh, Herman's the wrong answer if he loses this game on Saturday. Now, I'm sure a lot of the fan base will, and I wouldn't blame you too much for it. But if Texas does lose another game, which, I mean, if they do lose on Saturday to drop back-to-back games against this Oklahoma team, then I don't, I don't know how confident you are that the Longhorns are going to run the table the, west, the rest of the way and find themselves in Arlington at the end of the season. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's maybe not this weekend in particular, but if Tom Herman doesn't win the Big 12 championship, especially if he doesn't get there, then 
the book is sealed for me. This is not the right guy. And, you know, I, I, I don't know with the buyout, which is greater than $20 million, and obviously the economic situation of the University of Texas and really the entire country right now due to the pandemic, I'm not sure how realistic or feasible it is that Tom Herman is going to get axed at some point this year or at the end of this year or after this season. But, man, I feel like most of this fan base will be ready to move on if he's unable to at least get to Arlington in December. I think that is spot on, and I agree with you. So, it's with all that in mind, it is uh, prediction time. Oklahoma right now, <laughs> looking at Bovada, is a two-point favorite. Uh, but straight up, how do you think this game goes? Well, good news there for Tom Herman and for Texas, right? I mean, Tom Herman has been a phenomenal coach as an underdog. He's been horrible as a favorite uh, in his coaching career. We know this. We brought up the numbers earlier. But uh, Tom Herman, as an underdog, 11-4 and four against the spread, and he is 6-9 and nine outright against the uh you six and nine outright as an underdog, excuse me. So eleven and four against the spread as a dog at Texas, six and nine outright as a dog at Texas. So that's pretty good as an underdog. Now last year Tom Herman was one and four outright as an underdog. The only win came in the Alamo Bowl against Utah, but uh, one of the games obviously was Oklahoma. Texas was a dog in that game, and they lost at the Cotton Bowl. So you've got that working in Texas's favor. But one thing that's working against Texas, Tom Herman has six losses to unranked teams as a ranked team, which is more than anybody in the country since he took over in 2017. And even though Oklahoma is favored, Texas is ranked and OU is unranked. So these type of matchups have not been very favorable to Tom Herman since taking the job in Austin. Uh, Man, I just danced around the question. I got to give a prediction, I guess. I'm going to pick Texas to win this football game. I don't feel great about it at all. Uh, I don't think Texas is very good, but I think Oklahoma's worse right now. And they've got so many problems with that football team, and I don't think Tom Herman is ready to leave just yet. So I'll go Texas a little bit lower scoring probably than most people would predict. I'll say 34-31, to 31, the Longhorns get the win on Saturday. I'm going to take your role. I think it's uh, Oklahoma, and I think they get it 43-42. I think there's enough problems with both teams. So where each team has an opportunity to probably score 60 and doesn't, and each defense probably has an opportunity to hold both to 20 and doesn't. Hmm. So it's kind of in the middle. Uh, mistakes on either side of the ball benefit either side of the ball. I see this one being close. Tom Herman does not play in blowouts. He just refuses to, it seems like, right. uh, especially within the conference. And I, I think that there is you know, enough parity on both sides of the ball this year to where it's going to be a tight one but I this may be a case if whoever has the ball last is the one that wins and who knows with the uh, current game planning of Tom Herman how he wants wants to determine who gets the ball last um, I think it's going to be the Sooners I think they'll be able to kick a field goal at the end and uh, get a one-point victory I really think it's going mm. to be that close so it'll be good for Tom against the spread but not really good <laughs> for his overall record no that's not going to help him with this fan base right covering the two two and a half isn't going to mean a damn thing he's got to win this game outright on Saturday all right real quick lock of the week pick uh, I missed my first lock of the week last Saturday thanks to Kentucky losing to Ole Miss in overtime I can't remember what you had, Joe. Do you remember your lock of the week in uh, week five? I think, I think I had Auburn covering against Georgia, which nope. That, that didn't, didn't happen. happen. All right, so Joe is so, 0-4 uh, for his locks of the week. I am 3-1, and but we're both, just like Texas and Oklahoma, coming off losses heading into this Saturday. I'll give you the floor first, my friend. What are you going with, the lock of the week in what is technically week six of the college season? You know, looking at the uh, the numbers, I see South Florida. Oh, wait, no, that is South Florida. I'm thinking of Central Florida. Well, I'll go with my backup. I got Notre Dame uh, minus three touchdowns, minus 21 points against a visiting Florida State that uh, still bumbling, still fumbling, still not the Florida State program of old. And Notre Dame, I don't think they're a perfect team, but they're a lot better than, Notre, than Florida State right now, and I think they're 21 points better than them. Uh, so that's my lock of the week. We'll uh, we'll we'll give a shout out to Kevin Dunn right there with there that go. one, and picking picking the Irish at home. All right, I'm going to try to rub salt in your wound. Okay, I'm going to embarrass you. The team that you picked last week that couldn't get the job done, I'm going to pick them this week to make that defeat even worse for you. I'm going to go with Auburn. They're at home, coming off an embarrassing loss. Look, they got 
destroyed by Georgia last week. That game wasn't even close. It was uh, more of a blowout than the scoreboard would indicate. But they're at home against Arkansas. And I know Arkansas was coming off a nice win in Stark Vegas against Mike Leach and Mississippi State, but that's the Mike Leach experience. We overrate Mike Leach after a big win, and then he falls back down to earth and lets you down. That's what he does. I don't think Arkansas is that good, and I think Auburn only getting 13.5 at home is not nearly enough. So I know the Tigers have their issues. That offense doesn't look great, and God, I hate betting on Chad Morris. I mean, I hate betting on Chad (laughs) Morris. That guy was a great high school coach here at Lake Travis, obviously, but he has done absolutely nothing in college. And you'll say, oh, but Clemson, well, Clemson started to win championships after he left. They needed him to leave for that offense to take the step. So that guy has done nothing. I hate betting on him, but you've got the revenge aspect going up against the old team he coached in Arkansas. Uh, I hate to do this. I hate betting on Gus. I hate betting on Chad, but that line is uh, not nearly enough for me. So I'll take the Auburn Tigers 13 and a half against Arkansas. We will see. I think Sam Pittman may be doing something good up there, but uh, I think Auburn's going to be able to get it done. So I I do like that pick. All right, man. I think we're done for the day. Go uh, enjoy your kolaches and enjoy your drive up to Big D. You're sitting in the press box tomorrow, right? You're not going to be amongst the peasants? I will be in the press box. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to what's definitely going to be a weird game. Yeah, no doubt about that. Hopefully a fun game and hopefully a Longhorns victory. But that's going to do it for the 1-0 podcast this week. We appreciate the love, as always. Thank you all for listening, for liking, for sharing, for subscribing. Thanks again to our sponsors, AV Consultations and Altstat Beer. Follow Joe on Twitter at josephcook89. Check out the great work that he does over at InsideTexas.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner and listen to the Triple Option with RBKD weekdays from 3 to 7 on the Horn and HornFM.com. Until next week, we'll have a recap of Texas and Oklahoma. I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. There always is coming off of that game. But thank you all for listening. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy. It's 2.42 p.m. on October 8th, and OU still sucks. And, of course, hook them horns.